we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. This is Dave Debo. We are live with April Baskin, chair of the Erie County Legislature. She's someone who can tell us a lot of interesting things and can tell and cannot tell us some things. Uh, let, let me talk a little bit about the community benefits agreement that is being discussed and proposed for the new Buffalo Bills Stadium. There is a conf- I'll say it right at the top. There is a confidentiality agreement in place. So she's not going to be able to specifically discuss the negotiations and what goes on behind those closed doors. But I think if we frame this discussion in terms of community aspirations and community needs and the things that a benefit agreement like this could certainly help out with on the east side, she is ready to do that and here this morning with us. April Baskin, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me. Can you discuss the status of it Um, or does that violate the confidentiality here? We are in a place where negotiations are ongoing. We have the complex uh, job of making sure that we have clear lines of communication with the state of New York, who we all know, uh, those of us at least that have been following the deal, will be uh, the new uh, mm-hmm. people who own the, the stadium, landlord, the, yeah, the landlord, the new right. landlord, as well as uh, the Buffalo Bills. So with that layered complexity of all facets of the deal, not just the CBA, but the land transfer agreement, there's a, a lot of things that have to go into the entire lease deal. It's ongoing. And what is, let's just do a, an above the trees here. What is a community benefits agreement? So a community benefits agreement traditionally is an agreement that a developer uh, would have with stakeholders from the community because the development um, imposes on the community or will shift the community in some sort of way. They are commonly um, used, especially in affiliation with stadium agreements throughout the country. Is the premise that the siting of a stadium in Orchard Park and not somewhere else with that much tax dollars being put into it, is the premise that uh, that is a detriment to the community and therefore money must come to the community to offset the ills of a stadium? I don't think anything affiliated with progressing our hometown sports team, our beloved Buffalo Bills, <laughs> is a detriment. <laughs> you, you're going to find very few Buffalonians that feel that. But what I do feel is that we are making a substantial amount of public dollar investment into bringing a new stadium to fruition. With that said, when one considers a lot of the social issues that our community still deals with, um, where we rank in 
in terms of poverty, where we rank in terms of unemployment, when we rank in terms of segregation, or where we rank in terms of lead poisoning with our kids. There are a lot of social issues that public dollars should be addressing. But because we are putting it into our local sports team, um, which I'm not necessarily against, I'm just asking that an equitable investment or some type of investment from the initial go back to those social issues. If, if any of these questions stray into the areas you can't answer, just tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, if the stadium costs the state $75, 80000000000 billion, give or take, and you're asking for money for a variety of community benefits, social programs, et cetera, why have the stadium be the pass-through? Why not just have the state give money for lead abatement, give money uh, to address segregation or food deserts or what have you, and not necessarily link it to the stadium? What's what's the connection that puts those two together for you in your mind? So in terms of investment numbers, right now we are at $250 million from the county of public dollars, $600 million from the state. And so... Um, the state does do that. The state does a great job. Um, the leadership that we have in the New York State delegation and our newly elected governor does an amazing job at prioritizing those issues. And so does the county of Erie. I think that every dollar that is spent of public dollars needs to be accounted for as how it is going to be a benefit to people's upward mobility. And by people, I mean the residents and the taxpayers. So I'm not necessarily saying that, um, again, that uh, the investment into the stadium is a poor decision. It's just that every dollar we spend, there has to be some sort of reinvestment into people's needs. And where will that reinvestment come from? Is it profits from the bills, theoretically? Um, I can't go into details about that, but I know that something that I've been advocating for is, yes, the essential leaseholder or the developer in this uh, uh, situation, which would be uh, the Buffalo Bills, would prioritize how they are going to reinvest into the community because of the public dollar investment that they are getting for their private entity. I know that the towns of Hamburg and Cheektowaga, the city of Buffalo, Amherst, I believe, as well. Orchard Park. Orchard Park Mm -hmm. have all signed on to a resolution Mm -hmm. saying that there are certain issues we support as part of this agreement. Mm -hmm. One of them is youth programs. Another is transportation. Mm -hmm. Another is business development. Small businesses, And then some sort of long-term fund because uh, we didn't know COVID was coming, but if we have a uh, a pot of money set aside Mm -hmm. for it, we can deal with it when it happens. Yes, health equity. Yes. Health equity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let, let's take each one of those in turn. Mm-hmm. What would the youth programs funded by a CBA look like, ideally, in April Baskin's perfect world? I think that there would need to be a countywide assessment as to youth needs in various parts of Erie County, part of which makes Erie County so unique and so beautiful is that we have rural areas, we have suburban areas, and we have urban areas. And so the needs of those youth across the county are going to differ. So we cannot paint with a wide brush. I would prioritize. So the program that gets funded in Hamburg would be intrinsically different different than the one on the east side of of Buffalo. Of course, of course. The lifestyles in Hamburg are different than those in East Buffalo. So, of course, the needs of the youth are going to differ and everybody's voice should be heard and accounted for because everybody is uh, public dollars is being invested um, into the new stadium deal. I think one uh, place of cohesiveness when it comes to youth is mentorship. 
We mm-hmm. all know that youth need to be mentored. Um, and sports, I think that um, it's very common to see youth, no matter what economic status they come from or neighborhood they come from, have an engagement in sports. And I think that that is something that is on par with the theme of the stadium. If we are investing into a state-of-the-art experience for NFL players who make millions of dollars a year, why would we not equitably reinvest into the youth um, who want to play sports and and who sports it ends up being a pathway for, for their success and later in life as well. Sports is character development. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I, I am not much of a sports person myself. Uh-huh. And I think back to the time when my, my son was in high school, and he uh, tried out for and made the football team, and it changed him. Yes. In ways that me being a non-sports person could not have imagined. Yeah. But it was real. Mm-hmm. It, was, uh, it, was, um, it was visible. It was... Striking. Yes. And I now understand that role because of that. Yes. The arts does the same thing for youth who are not athletic. I was an artist, so I was not an athlete, but I was an artist. And a lot of the skills that I learned as an artist are skills that I use today as a local elected official. My other son's an artist. I know exactly okay. what you mean. Yeah, it changes. Bachelor of Arts in Theater. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You're a theater major. Yes, that's right. All right. <laughs> Uh, We're talking with April Baskin, chair of the Erie County Legislature. To the degree that we can, we're talking about the Community Benefits Agreement for the new Buffalo Bills Stadium. The negotiations are underway, and concrete details of that negotiation are covered by a confidentiality agreement. So there might be things she can't tell us about it, but we're talking in the broadest sense here about some of the programs that could end up being in that agreement. Talk to me about transportation needs. Uh, East side transportation needs have always been huge. Um, And I know, again, that this agreement is countywide. So let's look at it both on the east side and then more generally throughout the county. What sort of transportation programs could possibly spring from this agreement? Again, when we talk about this being a countywide community reinvestment, we do have to look at the things that um, our continuities throughout the county that tends to be a struggle for residents. And I think residents all across Erie County struggle with adequate public transportation. When we look at other cities and we look at their transit systems, their subway systems and their trolley systems and their bus systems, you literally can get from point A to point B any time of day or night. That is not the case here in the city of Buffalo. Um, it's certainly not a knock at the NFTA, but I do think that there is place to grow. But with the NFTA are going to need the resources in order to be able to do that. And they're going to need the community input so that they do it adequately. I think someone in the suburbs um, in in Tonawanda or in Grand Island deserves adequate transportation access to not just see Buffalo Bills games and be a supportive fan, but if they in turn want to get work on the stadium, they're going to need a pathway to get there if they don't own a vehicle. Is this something you cannot discuss? How large of a transportation subsidy would it be? Are we talking about an expansion of the metro rail or are we talking about more buses? I think logistically it makes more sense to look at our bus lines, but I am not a transportation expert, okay. so I won't comment. I just, <laughs> I just picture one being a really big pot right, of dollars right, right, right. and the other one a relatively smaller pot of dollars. There are immediate things that we can do with the CBA to address immediate issues, and then there is a way to use dollars from the CBA as an investment 
coupled with other investments from the state or from the federal government that can help expand. So maybe from a larger scale, there could be some type of smaller investment into looking at how we can uh, in, uh, develop mass transit through a rail system, you know, over the next couple of years. But immediately we know that we do have a bus system here and that um, more opportunities for people to have uh points of transportation to get out to the stadium is going to be something that the residents need. A shuttle to construction sites, possibly the stadium. So that workers was something could get I, that yeah. kind of thing. That, that was something that I was very specific about. All right. Business development. Before I ask you what a program would look like funded by the CBA, talk to me about the lack of business development on the east side. How big of a problem do you think it yeah. is? I hear stories about the uh, business epicenter that Bailey Avenue once was, that Jefferson Avenue once was. And I believe that Buffalo and East Buffalo has the potential to get back there. But we have to have people that are dedicated and deeply invested economically into developing a plan to make that happen. So I think the business districts of yesteryear, specifically in East Buffalo, where we've seen tragedy as a result of a lack of wealth, um, Uh, with the mass shooting on May 14th is something that has to be prioritized. But I have strong relationships with um, the Erie County ECIDA, um, with the Amherst uh, Business Chamber of Commerce. And so I know firsthand that there are other pockets of business development coalitions that are working hard throughout Erie County to make sure that our small businesses have the upward mobility that they need. Uh, the Erie County Legislature, in conjunction with County Executive Polling Cars, funded two huge uh, small business develop initiatives uh, out of COVID uh, federal dollars that we received. The first being the Back to Biz program, where we allowed for businesses all across the Erie County to receive a substantial amount of money to help with the upward mobility of their business post-COVID. And then in most recent, the storefront revitalization program. I knew you were going to go there. Yeah, that was going to be so, my next question. Yeah, so these are the types of things that have been innovative under my leadership of the Majority Caucus and the county executive. We, I think the CBA can carry out that spirit and continue to help small businesses. Do you think that money is enough? With the right amount of investment, could the Jefferson Avenue quarter be the next Elmwood or Hurdle? It could be, and money is not enough. It, it's, it's. I will say, it's how we use money that that really is going to determine the results. It's sometimes I argue with some of my adversaries <laughs> in local government. We cannot program our way out of poverty. We cannot throw money at poverty and expect things to change. You cannot just give someone um, a, a large lump sum of money and assume that all they need is that money to figure out the uh, their way out of a, a web of poverty or struggle that they are in. We have to invest in character development. We have to divest, invest in um, financial literacy. We have to invest in um, social, emotional inspiration. I think a lot of people just after years and centuries, if you're of some um, ethnic backgrounds of being disenfranchised, find it hard to even be able to believe that they can have success. So yes, of course, we need resources so that we can expand our businesses and our clientele, but we also have to invest into the spirit of the community so that we're really developing business-minded people. You're looking for basic entrepreneurs and say, hey, let me help you bring your 
idea to fruition. Yes, and I'm actually working on something right now in my bat cave that I'm uh, presenting to the <laughs> county executive and my colleagues in the legislature that aligns specifically with what we're talking about now. And now bring it back to me to the CBA. Mm-hmm. Would that be a funding stream? I believe so. It must be. And okay. I'm fighting for that when we're in these negotiations. All right. You said something that I, I've never heard it expressed before, but I really like. Uh, we can't program our way out of poverty. Yeah, I'm repeating a, 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 a statement that was said to me by a friend who attended a conference where the conference leader said it, and it inspired me as well. We have a tradition uh, in impoverished communities to let's develop a program to help people who are struggling, when really that program is just helping people stay afloat in their struggle, is not helping them get out of the struggle. And so when I heard that phrase used, I kind of coined it yeah, and like adopted that. it, and it's true. The, the other thing that I think we might have to address is when you create a program, programs need to be administered. There is an entire middle level there without the money necessarily. And I'm not, I'm not uh, making a broad brush accusation, but there are cases when I think the program costs prevent money from entirely trickling down. Would you agree? I agree. I think there's a lot of people in certain communities that kind of cringe at the phrase trickling down because it's usually affiliated with a split tongue politician who is finding a way to make sure that all of their political cronies are put in a position to administer the program and it never trickles down to the people. So, yes, we have to come away from assuming that um, putting money, putting a pot of money to address a a, a large issue like homelessness or unemployment or drug abuse or the opioid crisis is enough. Okay. One of the things I've heard in in all the discussions on this program about the needs of the East Side is that in some cases you just need to treat the symptoms and in some cases you need to treat the disease. Um, Let me flesh that out a little bit before I ask you to respond. Uh, Do we need programs, and you're probably going to say both, do we need programs that just deliver fresh farm food in a certain neighborhood or do we need something broader that looks at the systemic issues of one grocery store. Um, Should money go to solving the big problem? And by that, I maybe even mean attitudinal stuff. Mm -hmm. Or do we just need more services? I mean, this is a layered and complex question. And the answer to all of it is basically yes. All of the above. Yeah, you do, I knew you'd go you, there. We sure. have these programs, though. I, what I don't want to support is any new programs that do not address any new issues. I think the newer programs do need to be more focused on the root causes of why people need services in the first place. My goal is to not have generation after generation after generation be um, dependent on a particular service. But should that be the role of government? Yes, that, sh- that is the role of government in these programs to help people with their basic day-to-day needs. Um, But they all have to happen in tandem. You cannot decide which one you are going to do. You need the the services and the programs. We do not need any more. We need more people who are effective and um, outcome-driven to run them. And then what we need is we need an exploratory resource and tool and investments into data collection because you cannot address root cause issues without truly going in and assessing the community 
community. A lot of these programs are developed by people who have fancy degrees and they have a lot of assumptions about lifestyles that they've never had to lead. And that's why the services and the programs aren't getting anybody out of poverty or off the services, but they're just maintaining. So I, we do I, I need wanna, that. I want to probe deeper there and please okay. don't let me put a bad word in your mouth. Are okay. you talking about white paternalism really? Uh, yeah, that could be something that we go down there, white savior system, uh, systems. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an issue for me and a lot of people who look like me. If we are not in the room and if the people who you're trying to help and save are not in the at the table, and I don't mean as somebody to bounce an idea off of, but really in the role of leadership, an administrative role, if they're not the board members who are making the final decisions of these community-based organizations that are out there helping the people, then what are you doing? I've heard the phrase, if it's about us but not with us, it's not for us. There you go. That's it. There you go. All righty. <laughs> uh, let, let's roll back to the CBA. We have touched on youth programs and transportation and business development. But I think if you're talking about long-term needs, yes. the final component of the CBA that's been discussed is something that we need to look at. Sort of an, an endowment fund, basically yes. a big pot of money that wouldn't necessarily be earmarked for any one thing because... Today, we don't know what tomorrow's exactly. big one thing might be. Yes, yes. How does that money eventually, if it's put in a pot without an earmark, how does it eventually get allocated to whatever the next COVID is or, or the thing out there that we have not figured out yet? You, well, you just have to have a balanced system of bureaucracy over the pot of money. You need a place for people in the community um, to be able to have a seat at that table. You need a, a seat for... Uh, the private sector to have a seat at that table because they know how to make money and manage it and make more money. <laughs> and then you need local officials, the people like myself who were elected by the general public to be the representatives. There has to be a coalition of fairness um, to be able to assess the needs annually as they come and an open process for people to be able to apply for the money. And then that coalition will, by vote, I think, take make a decision as to what should be funded from the All pot. Right. So kind of like uh, the money that I think the county has sitting around or had sitting around at one point uh, because of the tobacco settlement. Yes, just, correct. Just kind of correct. in escrow sitting there yeah. and can be allocated as need as be? Need, as needed by the people. All yes. right. Mm -hmm. All right. Very good. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the process. Uh, again, you can't get into negotiations, but once this deal is negotiated, the legislature signs off on it? Correct. My hope is that there's uh, four or five moving parts that create the entire lease deal. And my hope is that they're all presented to the legislature all in at one once. Big chain. Yeah, so okay. that we don't find ourselves, you know, all over the place with votes. If the legislature has not seen this and it's presented to them in total in one big stack, is there a risk of them not being able to debate it because it's already decided and negotiated? Uh, does the legislature, by having a vote at the end of the process, not get as much say as if they were at the same table you are? Uh no, I think that when it comes to community benefits agreement, the legislature does have representation at the table. That's you. We, we have me and we have another legislator, legislator John Mills and legislator uh, majority leader Tim Myers. So the body does have representation when it comes to the CBA throughout the full process. Um, and I, I think that 
the legislature's role is oversight. And we essentially have the power to vote things up, to vote them down, or amend them. Advise and, that's just, and consent. That's right. And okay. so my role in government is my role in government. And if something is presented to me that is displeasing to myself or the people that I represent, um, I have to vote my conscience. And what we don't want in what I have advised my colleagues at the state level and uh, in the county's administration and those uh, people that I had the opportunity p- to speak to that rep- that are representatives of the Buffalo Bills before um, I was under the NDA was don't present something that will not be appeasing to the legislature because you risk it being voted down and we don't want to be there. You cannot disclose the negotiations. But no. theoretically, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be people at that table that say, no, my legislature is not going to vote for this unless you beef up that pot or put Mm -hmm. that program in there. Mm -hmm. That's theoretically the way these kind of things would be going. Yes, and okay. that's how they are going. That's All right. why I didn't the know if you could go there. That's why I was. <laughs> well, being I'm not. Coy. I'm not speaking specifically about anything that we are negotiating. So I don't feel like I'm violating okay. the NDA. That's... But I want everybody to know that they should know they should have faith in their local legislature. I have faith in all 11 members of of my body that we fight hard every single day to represent the needs of our people, and we do that, you know, with with eloquence and with passion. The Fair Play Initiative. I think about 75 different groups, municipalities, has come out. You're you're aware of who they Mm -hmm. are. They've said, we have faith in you, but we'd really like to see more in advance. Mm -hmm. How is that not possible? I think that uh, the structure is set, and what we would find our time better doing uh, is figuring out ways to find inclusiveness where we can. And so it it goes back to what we said later. If we know that um, we will have a pot of money that will later be decided on, I think our best bet right now is to fight to get the money and then later have a more inclusive process on how it's spent and make sure that the community is involved in in that. So we have to take things from a very realistic approach. The CBA is not, and it's not by anything that I have set up, not designed in a way where there's going to be a hundred thousand different community groups at the table. It should be that way, but that's not the way that it panned out. So what we have now are representatives who should be fighting for those people to have a voice at some point, and that's what I'm doing. Can you describe the scope of the agreement or the size? Are we talking a really large pot of money or a really, really large pot of money? Um, Is there anything you can share about the numbers and the scope of this thing? I think that's getting kind of close to violation. Can, can we talk generally about what uh, what sort of stadium deals have been in place in other places? Um, no doubt, as this uh, process was undertaken, mm-hmm. that you, that that you and others did research into CBAs elsewhere. Mm-hmm. What did you learn? Um, I, I did a lot of studying on Yankee Stadium uh, CBA because there were a lot of positive things that happened there. But I think there are a lot of things that later people would have preferred to go a little bit differently. And because it was a stadium that was built in the state of New York, um, I, I, I looked at that one very closely. I'm excited to see that even after us, the Tennessee Titans are um, entering into um, a CBA agreement as well, keeping a close eye, um, but understanding the fact that they are a different size team. They're in a different economic market. Um, they are in the 
south. We are in the north. And so, you know, things in terms of uh, political influences and ideology shift a bit when you are outside of different regions. So keeping my eye close on the past, which I would say is uh, Yankee Stadium and thinking of ways that I can advocate to do a, a little bit better and then looking in tandem of who's negotiating a CBA right now uh, for a stadium, and that would be down in Tennessee. All right. Do we know numbers on Tennessee or Yankees? I don't want to put you on the spot right off the top of your head. I don't have those numbers off the top okay. of my head, no. Is it is it possible to even say ours would be comparable? I think ours is going to be uh, historic. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, and unique. You, you cannot elaborate. I cannot, but you've got some folks in county executive polling cars and Governor Hochul and myself and the leaders in our state uh, delegation who are um, very understanding of how passionate Buffalonians are about their beloved Buffalo Bills, but who likewise understand the importance of our residents and their families and their neighbors having the best quality of life that they could have. All right. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about 514 and the east side in a general sense. April Baskin is with us, chair of the Erie County Legislature and one of the negotiators at the table for a community benefits agreement for the new Buffalo Bills Stadium. More in a moment. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Watch the WNED PBS original production, The Adirondacks. We've come closer here to a a working balance between the natural world and the human world than just about any place on Earth. The Adirondacks, now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. Support for WBFO comes from our members and from the Buffalo Philharmonic Chorus. Celebrating the holiday season with a performance of Handel's Messiah, happening Sunday afternoon, November 27th at 3 o'clock in St. Mary's in Swarmville. Conducted by Adam Lubke and joined by the BPO, the chorus sings, For unto us a child is born, the Hallelujah Chorus, and more. Tickets are on sale now at bpchorus.org, presented in part by MNT Bank. This is Buffalo What's Next where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And we continue our talk with April Baskin, chair of the Erie County Legislature. Your district is not necessarily where the top shooting was, but you're plugged in. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the biggest problem over there now? Um, I think the the community um, who has been re-traumatized because the majority of the members in that community come from the systemic barriers that we spoke about and just an economic uh, background of just growing up in trauma um, racially as well. I think the search for immediate change and immediate uh, answers to how uh, local government and leaders will protect them from ever happening again is something that is yearned for. But this is a very uh, unprecedented 
process that I think local leaders are being thoughtful about as to how we can make those assurances be significant. And is the way to make sure that people feel safe getting rid of all of those systemic things or at least saying, hey, we will address those systemic things? Yes, it is. And so we know that we have direct orders um, from the federal government um, to develop a resiliency center, and that's going to address a lot of people's immediate needs when it comes to mental health and counseling and all types of even financial literacy support. We do know that a lot of people want to see a representation of what happened in remembrance of those who lost their lives and so that people don't forget how the community was targeted and terrorized. And then there is what I said that, you know, I feel is important. We need to assemble, and we are, I'm, I'm sorry, assembling thoughtful conversations and coalitions around building wealth. This community was attacked because it was vulnerable. This community was attacked because it, they were an easy target. And that is a reflection of the, their race, their economic status. The segregation. And, yeah, the segregation. All, of, all sure. of that vulnerability. And so we have to put those residents in a position to where they are not as vulnerable to be targeted in the future. You just spoke of the mandate, the federal mandate for a resiliency center. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard a lot of discussion on that. Obviously, it doesn't necessarily involve the county directly, but you mentioned it and probably have more information about it than I do. What what will that look like? So there's a scheduled meeting in the legislature. I've called a official uh, committee discussion on it, and the directives are coming from the state and the federal government um, to directly to the district attorney, the local district attorney, and they have identified um, a resource, the Western New York Res Resource Council on uh, East Ferry as the location. And so the CEO, Catherine Roberts, of um, the Resource Council, the representatives from the district attorney, um, will be coming into the legislature um, at our next committee meeting to discuss the directives and the planning and all of the different um, committees that have to be impaneled um, from uh, the state by direction from the state and the federal government to be able to bring this center to pass. We've had on this program discussions with people from North Carolina uh, mm -hmm. near the Mother Emanuel shooting mm -hmm. years ago, and they also have set up a resilience center. A huge component of it there is mental health. Mm -hmm. You envision that here? That I'm hopeful for it. Again, I don't know the the, the direct role that the county plays, other than to, uh, you know having to be in charge of implementation. But I do know that the Office of Health Equity, which um, I created, was created last year under a local law that I uh, uh, was the lead sponsor on, were the frontline respondents to the mental health crisis. So the May the evening of May 14th, the director of the Office of Health Equity was on the phone with mental health agencies in Erie County coordinating a system in which people could receive free mental health services um, through the county of Erie at the Johnny B. Wiley Sports Pavilion, just three blocks away from where the mass shooting happened. So I can only imagine that that template is going to be considered in mm. the Resiliency Center because it, it worked so well and we were able to serve hundreds of families with uh, getting through those first couple of weeks. You also spoke of ongoing conversation, the idea that, that this is a process probably, rather than right. a drop of money into a community. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about process. I want to talk a little bit about ongoing conversation. 
how do we as a community get more direct conversation about race, more white people, black people, brown people in a mm. room talking about race? What what does that look like? What needs to happen? And uh, we only have five minutes left, so tell me how we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think the people who are most impacted, the victims of it, need to be able to have a space and a seat at a table with those who with our white counterparts. And sometimes I found in certain spaces there is a level of discomfort from um, some of our white counterparts in accepting the reality of it. A lot of um, times I'm in spaces about conversations about race and um, my friends or uh, my colleagues who are white sometimes are... Just don't get it. Well, they take offense to the fact that racism is often generalized. So we have overt racism. We have um, certain cultures or, or um, things that are, that are taught to us culturally as Americans that are rooted in racism. And so what we need is a, a space of understanding that no person... Uh, necessarily is targeted, it feels targeted in order for us to have honest conversations about how to find resolve. Author Robin DiAngelo was on this program uh, a while back. She's written a book called White Fragility. Mm. And, and her premise is very similar to that. She says that in order for the really true good discussions to occur, the white person has to realize that they're biased against seeing the racism, that that they should not get defensive when they're called racist, even if it's just uh, uh, institutional racism or even implicit bias. Right. Um, she feels that the conversation can only occur if we take a deep breath and say, yeah, there's a problem here. I'm not going to get defensive and say April Baskin's playing the race card. Mm -hmm. You get that? Does that I happen? Do I have seen it happen in certain spaces, but I was dealing with um, my white counterparts who are emotionally mature and, 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 and don't have a reason to feel defensive because they're operating from a place of wanting to understand and help and not a place of wanting to defend themselves and be right. Um, but bias is something that we all struggle with. I have found times that I have had bias and it was implicit and, and, and not um, I didn't mean any harm by it towards um people with mobility issues, um, seniors or older Americans or um, LGBTQ community. There, there are just things that are understood because of our culture that sometimes offend or limit others who are marginalized from having access and upward mobility. We have to come to a place where I am at a place now in my life where I have an understanding that my experiences in life may not have allowed me to be educated on experiences that I haven't had. And so the best thing for me to do is to come and be willing to listen on ways that I can perfect my own character. Experiences you haven't had. To me, that's the crucial part. Yes. Um, we've had on this program Jillian Hainsworth, the yes. poet laureate, yes. who said, go over to the east side for a sandwich. Um, sit down in an all-black restaurant just as a white person and integrate it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, because chances are you'll strike up a conversation with someone and that conversation will be valuable in some way. One-on-one, mm -hmm. -on -one, that's that's it? 
Yeah, then that actually comes from initiative and effort. Don't wait until your um, supervisor has some big uh, equity there inclusion will be a DEI <laughs> <session>. <laughs> training to engage in these. You have to want to be that person that's going to leave the comfort of your community and venture into East Buffalo with your children and your parents and sit down at a restaurant that is black owned and build a relationship and understand. And so that's where that work starts within oneself. My favorite question at the back end of almost every program, uh, what does Buffalo need? I think we've already covered that. But my other my other favorite is, are you optimistic? 15-second answer. Yes. Buffalo has immense potential. It's the best city in the entire country, and I am optimistic. I believe we are going to be an epicenter for wealth, for minority upward mobility, and for growth overall. April Baskin, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Dave. On the program tomorrow, we talk with the people from the Providence Farm Collective. We'll have more discussion as well. Do it every day right here at 10 o'clock on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. I'm Dave Debo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>